Representative Jim Christiana is a five-term Republican from Beaver County, a self-term-limited member of the Pennsylvania House of Representatives. Jim is now running in the Republican primary for United States Senate. He's taking on Congressman Lou Barletta with the hope of challenging Senator Bob Casey this coming November. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to Brews and Views. I'm Matt Bria, president of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs, and I am in Harrisburg at the Tobacco Company with uh, Representative Jim Christiana. Uh, Jim is from uh, Beaver County, the 15th uh, House of Representatives District. Uh, he's also running for United States Senate. Uh, Jim, welcome to Brews and Views. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, it is good to enjoy a cigar with you, uh, something that we've uh, enjoyed over the years. Uh, uh, lots gets done, it seems, at cigar shops. I know that uh, one of uh, your bright ideas that came into law, that uh, we'll talk about some of your accomplishments in the State House, uh, and we definitely want to talk about your run for uh, United States Senate. Uh, you're in a primary race uh, with Representative Congressman Lou Barletta. Uh, but before we get to that, Jim, uh, tell me about growing up in, in Beaver County. Uh, in fact, it was uh, quite a few months ago now that uh, my first guest was another Beaver Countyan, uh, Representative Mike Vion. Yeah. Uh, quite an age difference between the two of you. Uh, but I uh, want to hear about your experiences uh, in Beaver County. Well, to be honest, uh, your last Beaver County guest uh, has a Deserves a lot of credit for me winning my election in 2008. Uh, Despite him being a Democrat. Right, he's a Democrat. Republican, I'm a Republican. Yeah. So how did he have a, a lot to do with it? I think um, Mike Vion was a leader in, in the state house uh, in 2000 and in the two, early 2000s. And he was from Beaver County. He was uh, um, really the only... Uh, Beaver County representative at that time who was really a public policy guy, um, but he also was uh, the only vote uh, uh, against repealing the pay raise. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what that did um, was it, it, it opened up a lot of eyes in Beaver County. A lot of people were frustrated, um, and uh, that vote, um, as well as uh, some, some investigations by Attorney General Corbett, uh, uh, you know, over from 2006 to seven. Uh, opened up a lot of people's eyes in Beaver County that, you know what, the Democratic Party has mangled their opportunity mm. to lead, and they allowed uh, some Republicans to, to, to take over. And since then, um, since then, uh, Beaver County has become a red county. Yeah. Took over the courthouse first time in 30 years, uh, multiple state reps, multiple state senators, and a Republican congressman. So the landscape of Beaver County politically has changed, but economically is... Uh, the most exciting change Beaver County has seen in the last 10 years. Well, um, before, before we get to yeah. a lot of those changes that you've seen, Jimmy, uh, uh, tell me about growing up, hmm. uh, about your family, siblings, uh, and then certainly the political influences that caused you to uh, run for office. I know originally for the Beaver Borough uh, Council, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, talk about growing up in Beaver. So, I obviously, uh, Beaver County's uh, sports history is very rich. I mean, Joe Namath, Mike Ditka, um, most recently Darrell Rivas. I mean, Beaver County loves its sports history. Mm -hmm. um, and you think about the, the, how, what we named our NFL team after, the Steelers. I mean, they love the steel industry. And so growing up in Beaver County, all I ever heard about were the glory days 
what it used to be like in Aliquippa and Ambridge and Beaver Falls. Um, but I never lived in those those glory days. I did I did live in a these were company uh, towns. I yeah. mean, like uh, Ambridge was named after American Bridge Company, correct? We, we <laughs> named our football teams and our towns after these industries. Um, yes, and um, they they had vibrant river towns. And um, after the steel industry left, um, we we didn't have much. I mean, our largest employer to to date. Uh, is the hospital and um, the second largest is uh, Gateway Rehabilitation. Um, so the problem. What, what were your parents? Uh, what did your parents yeah. do? So my my parents got divorced when I was really young. Uh, my dad worked in a steel mill, um, and my mom uh, she she worked in as an administrative assistant and uh, HR and and uh, you know she worked in retail, second, third job if she needed to. I mean, my mom just worked wherever she could. Mm. Um, and um, my stepdad worked in a coal-fired power plant, Bruce Mansfield, uh, owned by First Energy now. Uh, spent his entire uh, adult life, his entire career, working for one employer, uh, First Energy. Um, and um, nobody in my family went to, to college uh, before I... I did. I mean, I'm sorry. They, I guess, a couple of them went to college. Just didn't never finish. Never finish yeah. community yeah. college, um, and uh, so I was the first kid in my family to graduate from college. Uh, my stepsister graduated uh, from college as well, um, and so we were very much a blue collar town, mm-hmm. um, where um, uh, you know to have some extra. We didn't. I didn't have a lot of money, uh, but I didn't struggle to eat or anything like that. We lived in a nice home. Um, but to, to have the things that I wanted, I had to work for it, Matt. You know, at 13, I went and got my own paper route. And I delivered papers every morning before school. Um, and that was kind of, uh, I, and I played soccer and basketball. Um, I kicked for the football team and ended up going to Washington and Jefferson College. And I wanted to go to law school. Um, so somebody had, a lawyer mentor of mine uh, that I went to church with recommended being a political science major. My parents were very non-political. Yes. Yeah, um, so, so were you were you interested in politics, no. or was that just hey, that's yeah, that's your pathway to uh, end up going to law school? Is yes. That, okay. Yeah. And so it's the latter. Yeah. It, it was the latter. So I I wanted to go to law school, and so I was kind of working back from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked a, a lawyer mentor of mine, you know, what should I major in? He said, Well, you go to law school with any major, which was true. But if you're asking me, you'd probably just be a political science major. Get a you know a good understanding of the political system and the legal system, um, and I think he was absolutely right. So then I went to Washington and Jefferson College, small school in Western PA, um, but has produced a lot of pol- politicians. A lot of elected officials came out of that school. Joe DeSaro, who's the chairman of the political science department, a conservative, Republican state committee man, um, became my mentor. It's also who exposed me to, to my love for cigars. Um, and um, Dr. DeSaro had a huge impact on my life. And then he exposed me to the to campaigns mm. and getting involved in campaigns. Um, so, so your parents, your, your mom and your stepdad, uh, were they politically oh. uh, attuned or were they, uh, did they, I mean, did they vote? What, 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 what was the, the politics of your household? Um, there was none. Okay. I mean, there's, uh, there was a. Uh, my dad and my stepdad were both members of a union, 
Um, and so if they were registered at that time, I never really asked them, um, they were registered Democrat. Sure. Um, that was on your birth certificate yeah. in Beaver County, oh, right? I mean, yeah. they'd say you were either communist or you're a Democrat. Um, there was no Republican Party. So, my, you know, fast forward to when I decide to run for office. I'm at WJ working on campaigns, and I get frustrated, just like a lot of people are now. It's, you know, 2005, six. I said, you know what? We need more young people in, in elected office. And so I ran for council. I ran for my hometown council. Because how, how old are you when you run for council? 21 years old. Okay. And um, I, I uh, came home and I said to my mom and my stepdad who lived in my hometown, um, they lived in Beaver Borough Ward 1, which is about 600 homes. And I said, I'm running for borough council. And they said, what? <laughs> yep. I've had enough. I'm running. I'm, we need more young people. And uh, they said, oh, okay, that's really good. They moved out of Beaver about two months later. <laughs> and uh, I'm stuck. I'm like, I'm, in a, I'm on the ballot. My parents moved out. I got my own apartment. Guy let me live on the second floor of his home. I'm a junior in high school. I'm sorry, junior in college at the time. Mm-hmm. And about an hour away. And I get my own place. And um, I win the primary. I win the general election. Did my you have to run year. as a, you ran as a Republican? Oh, yeah. I mean, okay. I was a, I was well, a conservative. So, all right. So, so you, because of your experience at college, uh, you came in uh, and said, look, I'm a conservative. I'm going to register Republican. Was that uh, heretical at all? Uh, oh, uh, they, uh, it, was, it was purely from the purest standpoint of learning the issues, learning why, what Republicans, you know, like Politics 101, your first political science law school class, uh, or sorry, your first political uh, co- co- college class, yeah. you know, um, I started learning about the issues, and I learned about um, uh, why, you know, why the Republicans support a reduced, controlled, limited federal government. Mm-hmm. How the free market um, is uh, is really what makes our economy the super the superpower that it is. That um, individual freedom and responsibility and self governance is the is the is the ideal. Um, so, so those were, were those were values that you had going there and said, well, this is the party that I identify with. Is that uh, how you arrived at saying, hey, I'm registering as a Republican? And uh, I suspect it was still Democrats getting elected uh, on these uh, local county seats as well. Uh, I was I, I, so I realized that the values that I had by and large identified with the Republican Party. Okay. Um, and so I chose to, to run as a Republican, but I had already become a Republican before that. You know, a couple of years before, as I'm kind of learning this system um, about the issues and how those issues and values identify with one or the other party. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also why I don't necessarily think that all Democrats are bad and the enemy in Washington is right. the Democrat Party. There's a lot of great people that are just registered Democrats for a lot of different reasons. Um, and um, so I just I just said, you know, I'm going to register as a Republican um, because those are the, va- the values and the ideals that I think um, closest to align with mine. And then a couple of years later, I happened to run as a Republican. Well, so, because so of that. B- back at Borough Council, uh, uh, what what you you run uh, was it a contested race? You win your first race. Uh, it was a contested race. I was running against the the 
the chairwoman of the Planning Commission, whose husband was the president of the Beaver County Community College. Okay. She was an impressive woman, Gloria <laughs> Cheshire. I remember like it was yesterday. I went out in that general election over the summer between my junior and senior year. I knocked on doors. I told people why I was running. We had some vacancies in our river, uh, in our in our storefronts pop up. Um, we had um, we lost some jobs, and in the the beauty of Beaver Borough was was starting to deteriorate, and we didn't have we had the same good old boys on on council, um, and so I knocked on doors, and then the big thing was on election day. I remember shaking every single hand as they walked in and I gave them a piece of literature and I said I'm Jim Christiana nice to meet you I'm running for borough council I'd appreciate your vote and I remember Gloria just not being able to to react to that I mean I was so aggressive <laughs> um, and not aggressive in your face right. just aggressive yeah. that I wanted to earn your assertive. vote and I and I, I was very assertive and um, I ended up winning I mean I kind of what, what, do, you remember, do, you remember, do you remember the percentage? I uh, don't. What, you know? <laughs> I don't. I was so blinded by the thrill of victory, I didn't even. I didn't even remember what so, the vote was. So as you're knocking on doors, and I suppose that this uh, was uh, one of the challenges that you faced as uh, when you decided to run for the state house, because uh, you still look youngish, yeah. uh, and I'm sure you were very youngish, uh, running as a, a college junior, you know, going rising senior. Um, was that something that uh, people were concerned about? It's interesting because um, obviously the pay on borough council was not enough to, to sustain a living. It was, you know, voluntary basis. Right. Um, but, it, you know, what people have, have, I think, in the political pundits and the people in the, in the, the political class have failed to realize is that youth, since about 2000. Six, it, absolutely, it was the case in 2006, and I even saw it in 2001. I'm sorry, in 2006, um, as I was a councilman, uh, 2005, six, whatever it was, to present, a lot of the pundits thought that my age was going to be a liability. My age is an asset um, because people wanted a fresh start. They wanted new people in elected position, and it was because the old timers had failed uh, to, to really fix any yeah. of the problems. The old timers who created the, the, the bonuses and the, you know, the car leases and the per diem abuse and um, not paying for their health care. Every time Beaver County picked up the newspaper around that time, they're reading about how the good old boys have failed. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so they were, they were, they were with, Op- welcomed me with open arms. Well, Not and, to mention. Cer- yeah, and certainly in Beaver, you ha- we uh, we were joking uh, before we started the podcast. Uh, you had uh, big the Beaver Initiative for Growth. That uh, the only person that really experienced growth were the politicians that uh, were running these things, collecting money from state uh, uh, development funds and uh, helping hire friends. And uh, I think even some folks went to jail or have mm-hmm. had to pay some fines for that. So you've got all that news wrapping into uh, this time frame that you're running. Um, I know, Jim, you're married to JN, wonderful mm-hmm. woman. Uh, where does she fit into this picture? <laughs> is she is she running with you for borough council, or is this uh, pre, pre-marriage with JN? Uh, uh, no, JN, JN has been there. She knew what she got into when she <laughs> married me. Let's just say that. Uh, she was my college sweetheart. We met our freshman year in college. Uh, by the summer of our sophomore year, I convinced her that... Uh, uh, 
uh, to be my girlfriend, and uh, 10 years later, I married her. Um, I had we got married uh, uh, two months before one of my re-elections to the state house, so she is very aware of what she got into. Okay. Um, ironically. Um, I married up, by the way, as Matt knows, in, in every category, mm -hmm. um, and I married into Amen. an amazing family. <laughs> um, I, you know, my father-in-law um, is, um, is, my, is, is my hero. Um, he, he runs his own business, his family business. He takes every call from his kids and his grandkids. He is an amazing dad, an amazing grandfather. Um, he puts everything into to making sure that uh, his employees have a paycheck and and pays for their health care um, and then he also serves as a township supervisor mm. only because he has a for one reason he has a a, a desire uh, almost a, an obligation to serve his community um, and um, he's my hero people ask all the time who are your political heroes Kurt Friedhoff because Kurt serves his community and serves as a township supervisor for one reason, mm -hmm. um, and um, so, but he's very you know he's a Republican. So, conservative. so I, I, we kind of jump forward there because you got married after you got elected for state house. Talk about how yeah. you uh, decided to uh, move from the non-paid <laughs> borough council uh, to saying, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw my uh, hat into the ring to run for state house of representatives. So my first job out of college um, was. Uh, selling Mercedes, Mercedes. So I, I had a paper out. I worked full, almost full-time uh, towards the end of college uh, to be able to, to pay for, you know, living. You know, I was basically living on my own because um, I had my own place. And so I worked full-time and graduated from college, and my first job is uh, um, selling Mercedes. I still had a desire to go to law school, um, but uh, I was involved in politics um, in 2006, which was the year I, I got a— I graduated, and I was helping a guy run for the state state rep, and um, he lost by about 300 votes. His name is Todd Hockenberry, um, and in 2006, Todd loses to Vince Biancucci. The same year Mike Vion lost, and the Republicans had a breakthrough in Beaver County. Um, Todd, it's still pretty Democratic uh, uh, districts out, yes, out your way at this Two to time. one, yeah, easy. Okay. Yeah. Two to one, easy. Um, Todd Hockenberry loses by 300 votes. Everybody think he's, thinks he's going to run in 2008, and boom, he's going to win because nobody expected him to be that close. They were mm. all focused on beating Vion. So Todd— And Biancucci is a longtime incumbent Democrat from that area, right? Yep, and, and, and in spite of all the investigations and the pay raise— Vince was a go-along, get-along kind of good old boy. He never was wrapped up in any of the, the scandalous things. Uh, he was a former band teacher, chief of staff to Nick Colafella, who mm -hmm. was the state rep before him. Nick retires. Vince is uh, the anointed one. He had been there six years, beats Todd by 300 votes. Everybody expects Todd, successful businessman, father, to turn around and run in 08. March of 07, Todd says, I'm not running again. Jim, I think you should run. You've seen, you've been there to help me. You've been on borough council. I, I sponsored and delivered the first property tax cut that my town had ever had, to this day has ever had. It's a funny story about how that happened. But um, he said, you got a record. You know the issues, and you know what it takes. We need young people. And he said, you should run. Well, I'm interested in this story. I haven't heard oh. this uh, story. Oh, how you got is... a, a property tax cut. Yeah, yeah so uh, my, my first decision, I get sworn into borough council. I'm 22 years old, still in college. 
average age on council, if you took me out of it, was probably 65. Three times that, yeah. yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, so they reopened the budget for the new council to vote on. And um, they had a surplus that year. They ended the, the last year with a surplus, and they wanted to raise taxes. And I just kind of watching this go on. I said, I just got a question. I mean, you're going to raise people's property taxes, but you have a surplus. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. Um, well, you know, like this is this is conservative to raise taxes slowly so that you don't have a big spike. I said, but you don't need to raise taxes. Well, that's what we're going to do. So that all you know that we voted. It was eight to one. I was the only one to vote <laughs> against the pay, the property tax increase. By the way, I don't buy a house for another probably nine years. So I, you could make the argument I wasn't even paying property taxes. Mm-hmm. So I vote against it. About three months later, we reorganized the committees, and shockingly enough, I become the chairman of the finance committee. <laughs> like, okay, Junior, we're going to see if you really, you really want to take this on. Sharpen so, your pencils. Yep. Yeah. So my first year as finance chair, we manage the buzz- budget. I, I, under- I, I get my head around all the line items. We, come, we end the year again with a surplus. And what we did was my recommendation to council was that we take that surplus we pay off our fire truck loan five years early. That debt expense uh, for the fire truck was about equal to a mill. And I said, I think we should cut the taxes rather than spend that money somewhere else. Nine to zero, we cut property taxes. <laughs> First time the town has ever uh, cut property taxes. And so this is one of the reasons I think I won for state rep and why I'm going to win against uh, Lou Barletta and Bob Casey. I and mean, that's because I have a record. It's not, uh, you know, uh, we've got a lot of slick-talking politicians that tell people what they want to hear. I've got a record. And that's why I think I can expose Bob Casey and Lou Barletta, because they've both been sitting in Congress for about a combined 20 well, before, years. So before I know, we get, yeah. I, I'm saying that's no, so I, important I to young people that want to know how to run and what people want. And what people loved about me in 2008 was I was young, I was knocking on 10,000 doors, but I had a record. And people uh, want to know what you've done, uh, especially if you have a legislative record, what you've done to back up what you're claiming that you're going to do if you if you get elected to another office. So, so you run in 08. Uh, you say, hey, I am limiting myself to uh, five terms, right? You, you said that at the outset. Mm-hmm. Uh, because was that something you felt that the constituents wanted, that they wanted someone who isn't going there to be a career politician? So, uh, great question. Um, what I sensed was, at that time, I'm looking at all these people, some of them who have, are going to jail, corruption, scandals rooted right in Beaver County. And you had the pay raise, of course, of yep. 2005, so I'm still, there's probably some of that glow left uh, out mm-hmm. there. And and so I had... I. My first job, I'm selling Mercedes. Um, I I had a a really good job. In fact, the job of state representative was about a 25% pay cut from me, and I realized that I did not want to be a a, a politician for the rest of my career. And what I sensed from people were, they were the people had stayed too long, mm. and that they wanted term limits, and. A lot of politicians say, oh, yeah, I support term limits, as long, you know, but they're not in the Constitution. They're not in statute. So, uh, well, you never get term limits. And I said, I'll go one step further, because I think my opponent even said in a debate the term limit question came up. He said, oh, yeah, you know, in theory, I support term limits. I said, you know what? Here's, here's what I'll say about term limits. One, I support term limits. Two, 
I'm going to tell you that if I don't do all these things that I want to do in 10 years, mm -hmm. if I have failed to deliver in 10 years, I'll let you, uh, you won't even have to fire me. I won't run. And they said, oh, are you self-imposed term limit? The first time I'd ever heard a self-imposed term limit. I said, well, yes. I'm saying <clears throat> that after 10 years, I won't run again. If you give me 10 years, these are the things I want to do. Um, I made a contract with the voters of Beaver County. They uh, held up their end of the bargain. They elected me 10 years. And I reaffirmed uh, the day after the election that I would not run again in 2018 for the state house and honor my, my pledge. So, so when you get, are, are running in 08, uh, did you have an idea of what issues you really wanted to focus on coming to Harrisburg? And how did that, uh, uh, I guess, what you ran on and what you ended up really focusing and being passionate about in Harrisburg? Uh, how did those match up? Well, I, I think one thing that the, the Lord has blessed me with is an ability to be self-aware. And so at that time, 25, I had worked since I was 13, but it wasn't like I had run a lot of comp you know, big companies. I wasn't a healthcare expert. But one thing I did know was that Harrisburg needed to be more transparent with the money they were spending, the pay raise, the per diem abuse, the car allowances, the health care that they were taking, um, the, the bonuses that they were awarding for um, people do, staffers doing campaign work. I said, well, one thing that we need is we need transparency. And I looked around to other states and they had, they had created these websites of, of, of transparency. And I said, I want to deliver that. Uh, I want to deliver transparency. The other thing that I was very aware of because I was, it wasn't that long, far removed from, from, from school, was that some of our public schools in Pennsylvania are, are failing. And the one thing we can, we can how we're going to fix that. Some people, the left, they want to just throw money at it, yeah. throw money at Give it. Give us more money, more time, and we'll fix we'll it fix eventually. It. Yeah. 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 Um, the, what I wanted was I wanted to take my free market conservative principles, and I wanted to apply it to education choice, competition, allow people to um, uh, have some, some flexibility in where they, what school they go to. So I supported vouchers. Um, so that if you are in a, a, a public school that works, you stay there. But if you want to go somewhere else, well, you now have that funding that we're providing for children. You can take that to a school that you believe will better serve your educational needs without a doubt i think when we when how we did that sell back home i mean well, is that, i mean <laughs> i mean i was because that's not always a popular thing uh particularly uh where your if your public schools are decent people yep. say well why do we need that why would we want to allow kids to take that money and go somewhere else uh the reason it's sold then and i think it still sells today is because there the, the people paying the bill were incredibly frustrated when they looked at the school districts that were getting the most money and underperforming. And they, they were the ones being asked to pay more and more in mm -hmm. taxes. And say, wait a minute, I'm paying, uh, the city of Harrisburg is 30% at grade level, uh, and they're getting $20,000 per student. But Beaver, uh, my, my public school, is spending about 9000 and it's got about 85% of the kids at grade level. So, um, don't ask me to pay more in taxes when you're getting double the funding and you're half, you know, a third as, uh, as productive uh, with that money. And so when I said, and, and the other thing is, I, I genuinely believe, and I think a lot of people believe, that we invest in kids. We don't invest in institutions. 
Um, and so systems or systems we invest in kids and so if if, or we should be right well (laughs) well right i think in an ideal scenario um if think about this too in beaver county the difference between living in a good school district and, and being on the path to success versus a chronically underperforming school district is separated by a bridge you could walk as a mom you could drive your kid across the bridge or you could rent a U-Haul, pack up, and move into a school district that is a good school district. That's not school choice. I mean, yeah. and, and some people on the left, they say, oh, we That's have school choice. That's economic choice. choice. That's uh, economic yeah, choice, yeah, right? right? Um, what I'm saying is if Johnny uh, can get a good education across the bridge and their mom wants to bring Johnny, his, Johnny's mom wants to bring him into that school district, let him come. Yeah. And we'll have the money to follow him. Or, or create uh, a, a marketplace for education that a better school uh, pops up in Johnny's neighborhood. Right, right, right. right. Well, let's somebody, and we saw this, um, Ambridge School District uh, did not, uh, took away f- uh, full day kindergarten. Charter School comes in, says we're going to offer a full day kindergarten. They had 300 kids in, from Ambridge sign up within 48 hours. <laughs> within a week, Ambridge and, offered full right. day kindergarten. Competition works. Competition <laughs> works. And, um, you know, when you have a monopoly uh, like Ambridge did, uh, they didn't have the desire uh, or the the passion to to, to incentive. To, yeah, they didn't have an incentive to to improve. Yeah. but competition did it, um, and especially on a state level, I think you know the state dollars that we spend that we have to appropriate. You know, wherever that that kind of lands, if the kids want to want to migrate from one county or one school to another. It doesn't really affect the state budget much. I think you have an argument saying, hey, the property tax payers in this district, the property tax money should stay in those districts. I, I kind of agree with that. I hate property taxes um, for many reasons. I think they're unconstitutional. Um, but on a state level, I think it's fine to allow state money to go between districts. Well, and that's where all of the plans, vouchers that have mm-hmm. been proposed, it's all about the state money. It's right. not uh, local property taxes that would be following uh, the child, but I know Jimmy that I have I've actually used uh, uh, maybe not you by name, but uh, uh, members like you that are willing to stand up and make a passionate case for these things, despite what may appear to be a politically unpopular position. Uh, and I think it's why we haven't seen the robust, uh, you know, uh, um, holistic, if you will approach to school choice it's still fairly narrow uh targeted that we've got is because there there hasn't been the courage to say hey this is a good policy the right policy and convince voters constituents that this is good and that they keep re-electing you even if they may not agree with you at first right uh, but you have been one that i know you'll go into a uh, uh, auditorium of all uh teacher union members uh, and make your case, your passionate case, and I, I know you've. Can told I tell me. that story? Yeah, yeah, yeah please I think do. it's a cool I think story. It is. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a insight. It gives insight about who I am and and, and what motivates me, um, but also I think can give new members uh, the the courage to what their instincts are and what they want to do. I think it gives them the courage to hopefully do it. So um, I go to Harrisburg to introduce. A, uh, in 2010, Governor Corbett gets elected, and he gets elected on a pro-voucher message. Um, and I got elected first to election, first debate with my opponent. I said I supported vouchers. So we're doing uh, seniority reform uh, at that time, vouchers, um, 
we do uh, uh, what a lot of education reforms mm -hmm. um, at that time. Um, and I get a call from a teacher union leader in my district and says, you know, you, you're in the news every day talking about seniority reform and teacher evaluations and vouchers. Yeah, you never sit down and talk to us. I said, well, you've never been invited. I'm happily said, I'll sit down and meet with, you, you know, your members and some of the teachers. She said, you'll come meet with some of us. And I said, yeah, sure. So we set up for a Friday afternoon about 4 o'clock. Um, I'm going to Hopewell High School to meet with a few teachers, right? I get to Hopewell High School, and they say, oh, oh we're going to meet in the auditorium. No, I'm sorry, the gymnasium. We're going to meet in the, in the gymnasium. Oh, that's kind of weird. So I walk in. There's a microphone at center court and about 400 teachers in the bleachers. No bottled water, no chair. And for about two and a half hours, we went back and forth on every, every education issue before us. Mm -hmm. And I explained to them why I support vouchers. And the one thing I'll say is I... I said, no matter how much you love your students, you do not love your students more than their mom or dad. And, of course, we talk about the parents that don't live up to their obligation as parents. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I'm sick and tired of legislating to the least common denominator. You know, government has to, to pick up the slack because a few, yeah. Yeah, few and, parents and we'll deny, don't do their job. Yeah, we deny, uh, you know, the opportunity for parents who do do right. their job uh, right. because— we're going to make the argument that, uh, well, we need to make decisions for these who won't make good decisions. And you're absolutely right. And I said, you know, one thing that guides me on vouchers is that, um, you know, why when we, when, when we decide where our kids are going to go to college, do we sit around and we look at the economics, we look at the programs, what is you want to do? And we make up, for the most part, a, a free market choice. Our zip code doesn't tell us what college we have to go to. Um, so why is it such a foreign concept that that's what we would look at uh, K through 12? And in fact, if you have the means to pay for private tuition, um, you kind of make the same decision. You look at the options, uh, uh, some you know, homeschool, charter school, cyber school, private school. But the people that get screwed the most are the low-income yeah. families, the single mom um, who doesn't have the means to do it. And unfortunately, a lot of those families are trapped in chronically underperforming schools um, and so that's why I support it and I told them that and I remember a similar story about that same time I got a call from the House Republican Campaign Committee after I introduced my voucher bill and um, they called me across the street and they said hey we just did some polling and we want you to know before you introduce this bill 13 percent of your district supports vouchers and we think this is going to be a political That's liability a dog, for you. a dog right. of an issue. I Run mean, away, right? Yeah, you're the number one targeted seat for the Democrats to pick up. Like, we don't think it's good. And I said, you know, it's really weird because I supported vouchers when I first ran, yet they still elected me. <laughs> and that was the end of the conversation. Uh -huh. I've never been scared to lose, Matt, uh, because, one, I think I had a self-imposed term limit. And, two, I got into this for the right reasons mm -hmm. because I was—, I was um, I was unhappy with the status quo. I was unhappy with two more years of the same, the candidates talking about the same issues and, and wanting more time and making more excuses. People want progress. And so I was never worried about losing an election. If the voters choose something differently this May 15th, I'm going to go back to the private sector. That's where I was headed anyhow. Um, but oftentimes the voters don't get a clear choice. They get stuck picking the lesser of two evils. 
um, and, and they really want to change agent. Well, and that's where I think whether you're talking about a conservative Republican or even a liberal Democrat, that uh, when, when elected officials demonstrate a passion and, a, and principles that they adhere to and are willing to engage with even people who disagree with them, a level of respect results, uh, and I think that the electorate likes that, yeah. uh, and that that's where they've shown, hey, I may not agree with this person all the time, but this person's willing to talk with me. I understand where they're coming from, and I think that that's unfortunately a value that um, isn't upheld as much as we would like amongst elected officials. Uh, but, but Jimmy, you're you're passionate about other things. I know in particular out in your area, uh, the natural gas industry. Uh, has been a, a big economic opportunity, something that's brought back some of the, the uh, area's economic livelihood that, you know, vanished with the steel industry. Uh, but talk about, in particular, the gas industry in your district. And I know that one of the biggest things was bringing in the Shell Cracker plant investment. Uh, I think you've noted the biggest single investment uh, since World War II into Pennsylvania. Uh, but tell us about that. So as you you got to be opportunistic in politics, too. Um, and I did talk about bringing back jobs when I first ran. Even though I didn't know a whole lot about uh, um, running a business, I, I knew that there was a lot of sites that used to have people like my dad working on them that were vacant. Mm -hmm. I knew that we put all our eggs in one basket in the steel industry, and then when it left, we we've been stuck with brownfield sites ever since. And so what I wanted to do was to, to diversify our economy, and I wanted to at least market Beaver County to the world. And I, I hit the, the political Powerball jackpot when Shell uh, met with uh, Tom Corbett at the time, and they were looking at Ohio, West Virginia, and Pennsylvania to, to build an ethane cracker plant, a petrochemical plant that, w one, has never been built in the northeast part of this country, the last one was built decades ago, uh, predominantly was in the Gulf Coast. And, and what they wanted was, and they saw was, we have a huge natural gas and, and wet gas um, supply in this, this area. And so they wanted to put up a $6 billion plant in one of these states, and they were looking for us to, to attract them to Pennsylvania. And so what we were able to do, and this is why I know there's a lot of skeptic listeners that say, you know what, things will never change. It's the same excuses. Yeah. People don't work together. Here's a good consequence of an election. We put Democrats, Republicans, labor, industry, conservatives, and liberals in a room and said, do you want this plant built in Ohio, West Virginia, or Pennsylvania? Pennsylvania. Well, here's how we're going to do it. We have a, a piece of legislation that I introduced in the House. Governor Corbett deserves a ton of credit for it. Um, that ended up getting that plant here. 10,000 construction jobs. By the way, it's for an industry that was brand new to Pennsylvania, brand new industry that will feed a manufacturing base that left a long time ago. And it's a result of the natural gas industry. Which has a lot of spinoff to it. Uh, what ends up resulting, not just the natural gas that uh, is produced, uh, but all the byproducts from uh, the, the, the splitting of the gas, uh, and this is where it's beyond my technical grade, but uh, what this ends up bringing into Pennsylvania are a lot of feeder as well as downstream beneficiaries of this. So this was a big coup for Pennsylvania. Oh, it's a big coup for all 67 counties. And the reason is what Shell makes, it's not like they make a Volkswagen where 
boom, it's a finished product and you ship it out to the end user. Shell makes an intermediate product. It's almost like a, a pre-plastic product, which then they sell downstream to plastic manufacturers. Think of anything made out of plastic, bins, pop bottles, uh, to things like the, the liner in your, in your cereal box. And that's in your cracker box, and all those pretty those much plastics. all of life is touched by byproducts of, of natural yeah. gas. Right, absolutely, and so that is what is going to boom Pennsylvania's manufacturing base because Shell has to to get the incentive we gave them. They've got to buy Pennsylvania gas, and they've got to supply Pennsylvania manufacturing, and that manufacturing isn't going to be, it's too big to be in, in just Beaver County. It's going to be in Allegheny County. It's going to be in Williamsport. All the counties sh- should be really looking at how do I get the manufacturers here, the diaper manufacturers, the pool liners, um, because they're going to be coming, um, and uh, that's the, the really the, the, the well, amazing thing. And I have about to say, it's, it's something that uh, most of us don't realize that don't live out there. But when I was out in your district, I think it must have been last fall, and drove through that area. I mean, the amount of earth moving, uh, the footprint of this, uh, it, I mean, it just has to be a, an economic boon for your area. It is, it, it is immense. It is immense. Um, think about this too, 6,000 people working on a construction site that's going to take three years. And by the way, after you, you build that, you got to go build all those plastic manufacturers. We are emptying out union halls for welders and, 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 uh, and drivers and uh, uh, truck drivers. I mean, we basically there are jobs that can't be filled because there's such a demand. Is that, jo- is that yeah, accurate? Yes, jobs that pay you near $100,000 with no student loans and you <laughs> get paid while training. I mean, uh, <laughs> we, and, and listen, growing up in Beaver County, my parents. Um, devalued a blue-collar job for 18 years. My dad worked in a mill, said for 18 years you're going to go to college because we don't want you to work in a mill. My dad worked in a power plant. For 18 years I'm going to go to college because I don't want you, know, you to work shift work. Uh, unfortunately, for my entire generation in western Pennsylvania, a lot of blue-collar families devalued the blue-collar job. Mm-hmm. I think it's changing. Um, you know, for, First of all, the price of college is getting insane. Then you tie it to the fact that they're still not ready for the jobs that are available and you go down to York County in Hanover and you walk at their pre-apprenticeship program where kids are 18 years old come out of high school making 45 grand and walking a half a mile to to their job um, that's where government is failing to to actually link higher education to 21st century jobs and K through 12 to 21st century jobs it starts with the the change of, of goals we, we heard that college access was the goal for a, a number of years. College access shouldn't be the goal. A family-sustaining career, being employed for your entire life should be the goal. Um, and a lot of those jobs, seven to one, are uh, in the building trades, uh, jobs that don't require a four-year degree. Um, and so that's what we should be focusing on. I do think the market is helping it some, but government needs to be the facilitator between job creators, higher education, the welders, the steam fitters, uh, uh, and the trades. And I'll, I'll also say this, the Republicans have failed to distinguish the difference between the public sector unions and the private sector trade right, unions. Right. Um, and uh, we, we, we've got to do a better job 
of that because uh, there's a lot of conservative people um, that work in the building trades making a good living with no student loans that are conservative people. And I don't think we should shut down, you know, close off the Republican Party to those people. Well, of course, it's not where you have to have 100 percent agreement on everything. Uh, but look, I think everybody says we need jobs. Uh, we need to create opportunities for our kids to be able to stay here. Uh, I do that out of self-interest that I want my four kids uh, to stick around Pennsylvania. Um, let me back up a little bit just because uh, you, you are realizing that dream that when you went to college said, I want to go to law school. Uh, you're going to be finishing up your law degree here about the same time as uh, a primary uh, wraps up. So you've, you've got a lot of things in the fire. You've had a son. Uh, you and Jan have Nolan. Uh, who was uh, brought into your family life, I know changed you a lot. Uh, being a dad is, is uh, certainly something that uh, you don't really understand until you are. Uh, and uh, those, uh, But you're wrapped up. You said, hey, 10 years is it. You decided, all right, I want to jump up to U.S. Senate. I want to run statewide. Mm -hmm. um, you, you said earlier, Jim, I've got a lot of good self-assessment. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a big leap. Sure. And for a guy who's uh, kind of been in government, right, you, you've been a career politician <laughs> in a way, right? Yeah. Uh, your short career. Um, uh, how do you make that case to the voters that you're the right guy to send off to Washington <laughs> uh, rather than uh, Lou Barletta, who uh, uh, is... Well, yeah, probably I mean, could be your father, I guess, uh, in age and uh, has has been in Washington, has that experience. Why is it? Why are you the better guy uh, to fill that role? Yeah. And this was a conversation I had with JN, because, like I said, I was actually getting ready to go back to the private sector. I knew I was going to be getting my degree, 10 year, my law degree. Uh, by the way, so you think about that. I've been in Harrisburg, going to law school, have a son. Um, JN is a saint is the first thing that I yeah. think about to, to be able to do all those things and to, to, to be effective, um, to not flunk out of law school, actually do really well in law school. Pass big pieces of legislation be from Penn Watch, uh, Champ for uh, School Choice. Yeah. Uh, and it's because um, two things. One, um, my wife is amazing, an amazing partner in all of this. And two, um, I want to leave the system better than I found it. I'm thankfully, I'm thank God that I'm leaving Beaver County on a on an economic uh, boom. Uh, the Beaver County that Nolan is going to be raised in is going to look tremendously different than the Beaver County I was raised in. And in many ways, it's going to look like the Beaver County my dad was raised in. Um, Harrisburg is more transparent, um, and parents have more options to uh, for where their their kids go to school, um, and. Two million Pennsylvanians have access to their doctor or in hospital because of a piece of legislation I helped push. So in many ways, I'm really proud of my record. And that is why I said to JN, you know what? I know we were getting ready to go back to kind of a private, uh, the, I was going to the private sector, a less public life. Um, but God has given me some talents and has put me in a position to have a, a legislative record um, that we need in Washington. And Bob Casey, in my opinion, is probably a very good human being. He's probably an incredible dad uh, and, a, and a great husband. But he's been in Washington for too long and, 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 and really hasn't led on, on anything. And what I saw, the reason I got into this race was because Bob Casey was a rubber stamp for the president. So when his team was in charge, you know, he was a yes man. And then when Donald Trump wins, he goes to being an obstructionist. And that isn't going to solve Social Security 
the fact that kids are paying 9% interest on their student loans to the federal government, um, that our borders aren't secure, and we got $20 trillion in debt and a trillion dollar deficit. And to me, those are unacceptable. I, I'm in a position to do something about it. And I think it would be, I'd be a sellout if I didn't try to give the voters a choice. And unfortunately, the only choices that were being given were two people that have been in Congress. Lou Barletta, yes, he's been in Congress. And, uh, but his entire campaign is based on what he did as a mayor. You know, what have you done with the opportunities you've been given? And to me, that doesn't give me enough reassurance that uh, these my kids aren't going to have to inherit all these same problems we're dealing with. And so I stepped up and I said, you know what, we're going to give the voters a choice. Um, but you're right, Matt. I'm not naive to the fact that my private sector experience is limited. But you know what? I've been working for a paycheck since I was 13 years old. And um, I worked the entire way through college. Um, and in many ways, I, I work more than a 40-hour-a-week job now. Um, this has been my job of being a state rep. But that's also given me the experience and gives the voters the reassurance that I'm not blowing smoke. I'm going to Washington because the people that have been there have failed to deliver. Um, I'm an outsider with a lot of experience. I'm the youngest guy in the race by far, but I've got the best legislative record. And um, that's why I stepped up. Well, so Lou Barletta got uh, the state party endorsement. Um, uh, but I don't think that has uh, translated into lots of cash coming into uh, that race. Uh, if I'm correct, I think he's got about a tenth of uh, or thereabout uh, how much money Bob Casey has in the bank. Um, how do you think, uh, you know, how do you make the case to Republican voters? Because Lou Bardella still has more money than you do sure. uh, to fight this fight. What's your case to Republican voters that on March, I'm sorry, May 15, are going to have to pick between Jim Christiana and uh, Lou Barletta as to who they want to go up against Bob Casey? The reason, Bob, this, the reason that Lou Barletta has more money than me is the same reason that I think he's going to be an ineffective senator. And it's the same reason that Bob Casey has more money than me, and I don't think he's really going to change Washington. Seventy percent of the money that Lou Barletta has raised is from federal PACs, Washington interest groups. Um, Big Pharma uh, pushed Congress to, to pass a bill led by Pennsylvania Republican congressmen, supported by Bob Casey and Lou Barletta, uh, to, to, to undercut uh, law enforcement and to protect drug distributors. These drug distributors dumping millions of pills into West Virginia town, nine million pills into a town of 400 people. Big Pharma got Congress to help them instead of help our families. Um, and when you look at um, the issues that are facing us, the interest groups in Washington are the ones that are, are lining the campaign coffers of the people in Washington. I'm not Washington's guy, which means I'm not Mitch McConnell's guy. Um, he didn't recruit me to run, which means I'm going to Washington. In fact, they, in fact a lot of those folks would like you to just get out. <laughs> right. Right. In fact, but you know what then happens? You got a Washington insider and a Washington insider, two people very familiar with the halls of Congress, and both are very unfamiliar with how to get anything done there. And I don't think it's because they're bad people. I just think that they are rooted in Washington special interest, and that's where their money is coming from. So while I'll be, uh, you know, underfunded, 
um, I will be the only person that represents an open mind in Washington. And think about that, too. I don't owe anybody in Washington anything, but I want to work with everybody. Um, I'm not buying into Chuck Schumer's an evil guy or uh, uh, Mitch McConnell's an evil guy. I'll work with both of them to fix Social Security, to rein in spending, to secure our borders, to upgrade our immigration system. I've seen in Harrisburg that a lo- most, most of the issues have a lot of common ground. The problem is in Washington, they focus on where they disagree. They worry more about who wins and loses rather than making progress. I have seen that the, the, the pursuit of per- perfection, the perfect bill, is the enemy of progress. And we've saw it just recently with the immigration issue. We're seeing it with the transportation issue. Um, they would rather, people in Washington would rather see the president lose or the Republican lose than update our immigration system, find a solution to DACA. The only way that will change is by sending independent legislators into those chambers. Um, focused on where, you know, trying to find where we agree. So we're sort of in still the afterglow of uh, the special election in uh, southwest Pennsylvania, an area that went uh, 20 points to Trump, uh, dramatically shrunk uh, in this race. Uh, Certainly Lou Barletta has been tied very closely to Trump. Um, What's your assessment of things in Pennsylvania here in 2018 uh, one for Republicans, uh, two for those that are closely aligned to Trump. Is that, uh, uh, I mean, tell me your assessment of, of the political environment uh, that you're in right now and will likely be going into in November of, of 2018. I, when people go into the voting booth, they have a choice between two people. They're choosing one or the other. And I think, by and large, based on the qualities uh, associated with those two people, their record, what they believe in, uh, whether or not they're going to, to be effective in Washington. I really think that the president is very low on that list. In fact, Connor Lamb, uh, the Democrat uh, who was running in that special election after the election, said the election result really had nothing to do with Donald Trump. And I believe that yeah. because even though um, Trump won 20 points and now it's a, you know, almost was a virtual tie, 50-50. I think Donald Trump would win by 20 and 30 points in that same district. And that's an indication that it's not just about the president. It's about the candidates. Well, and and interestingly, uh, you had the Democratic candidate running against Nancy Pelosi, uh, saying that he was pro-life, that he was personally against abortion. Uh, He never uh, attacked Donald Trump. He's pro-Second Amendment. Uh, almost ran as a Republican in in that district and had to. Uh, what you, what, in fact, it's almost like the, di- the the I don't know if there are any blue dogs anymore, but he certainly ran as one out there. He he ran against Washington's definition of being a Democrat. Mm. He he ran on what what I sense was the Democrats that were in his district. What they what their values were, and um, what would relate to them. Mm-hmm. And he told the Washington Democrats, to the California Democrats, the New York Democrats, to stay out of my race. Um, and I think that's what allowed him uh, to be so successful in that election and in that district. 
Yeah, and I think the numbers, that- and I think the numbers, uh, uh, Jimmy, uh, bear that out. I, he he spent less than four million compared to the ten million uh, spent for the Republican. Uh, so you had you know a, a fraction, less than half of the expenditure, yet uh, still uh, making it competitive, obviously. Yes, and so when people, by the way, Rick Saccone, the Republican that ran for there, I've served with him for the last eight years in Harrisburg. First of all, he's an incredibly qualified and talented um, individual. His professional career is amazing. Uh, he, too, was a, is a veteran. He is a, you know, a Ph.D., um, and I'm... His biography and resume is awesome. But the mistake that Rick made was that Rick tried to make this as a referendum on the president. And he ignored that this was about two candidates. Lou Barletta has made the exact same mistake. Uh, he he has tried to appeal to Republicans exclusively because of his support of, of, of from the president and his relationship with the president. And let's be honest, the president rewards loyalty. Yeah. Lou Barletta was an early supporter of President uh, President Trump. You should be commended for that. I endorsed him, but uh, um, he was he was one of you yeah, know, but two, the but he was one of the, the first. The challenge, as I see it, is only Trump can run a Trump campaign. Right. Uh, Non-Trumps cannot, and I think that uh, the special election certainly said some of that. Well, and, Jim, and, and one yeah, other point about yeah. that, um, you can't ignore the fact that Donald Trump the biggest reason that Donald Trump won, I think, was because he was running against Hillary Clinton. It was not just Donald Trump, uh, you know, recreated politics, and that's the perfect model. He was a movement, and he was the alternative to Hillary. Once again, who's Connor Lamb's message as a candidate sounds a lot like uh, Bob Casey, right? Mm-hmm. Bob Casey tried to convince pro-life people that he's pro-life. Uh, he's tried to convince people that he's pro-Second Amendment, um, that he's a moderate. His voting record doesn't indicate that, but he's going to run on that same message. For Lou Barletta to just say, well, I have a very similar voting record, but I got the president, that's not going to work. We need somebody who can actually stand up on their own two feet and stand up on their legislative accomplishments to contrast that Bob Casey doesn't have any. Well, Jimmy, I've appreciated uh, uh, becoming your friend uh, in Harrisburg and watching your career. And, of course, while I don't like the idea of losing you uh, in the legislative uh, realm here at the state, uh, I do wish you well, uh, you and Jan, in your endeavors. uh, And maybe we'll be talking here again uh, should you win the primary and uh, go into the general election. But uh, best wishes to you. Thanks for coming on Broods and Views. Thank you for doing this for for. Uh, your listeners and thanks for the invitation you bet you've been listening to brews and views a production of commonwealth partners chamber of entrepreneurs find us on facebook at commonwealth partners and follow matt briette at m-a-t-t-b-r-o-u-i-l-l-e-t-t-e 